Welcome to Trivially Crucial, where we believe every hyperspace bypass, depressed robot, galactic president, and restaurant at the end of the universe is important and critical to our lives, no matter how unimportant a story may seem. I'm Michael. And I'm Mandy. And for this 42nd episode of our podcast, we are talking about the only thing we could talk about for the 42nd episode of the podcast. It's true. And it's the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, because... As we all know, 42 is the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. Um, So, yeah, Mandy, uh, I mean, Hitchhiker's Guide is kind of permeates nerd sci-fi culture, I feel like, uh, in general. Where did you first hear about it, or do you remember when you first really became attuned to it? Yeah, uh, to probably people's surprise. Uh, This was not something that was really a thing in my family. Uh, So I didn't hear about it till high school. And I remember uh, my friend who uh, uh, we had a couple of classes together, but not very many. Um, He lived down the street. He loaned me the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the five book set, uh, because he said he couldn't believe I hadn't read it. Uh, And and then I read it. But yeah, uh, I never heard of it before high school. And considering I grew up in the most sci-fi of sci-fi families, that's kind of shocking. But we're also not British. So, you know, do that what you will. (laughs) So less shocking for me, because I didn't grow up in a big sci-fi household. I had this same exact experience where I did not know about the Hitchhiker's Guide at all until high school. Uh, It was my sophomore year of high school specifically, where I recall a friend of mine making a reference that clearly everyone else understood, and I didn't, and I asked what they were talking about. Uh, And I also remember that the reference was specifically about bringing my towel. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, I had no idea what he was talking about, and they were like, wait, do you not know the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? I was like, uh, I vaguely heard the name before, uh, and that was about it. So uh, I did not know that panicking was a bad idea. Uh, I didn't know the value of <laughs> towels. And uh, I didn't know that uh, bypasses were such a... Uh, hyperspace bypasses and bypasses in general were such a significant point that the entire universe's destiny could turn on. Yeah, um, I, I didn't know so many people's lives were threatened by bypasses, honestly. Mm-hmm. Part of it may just be that we're not observant of British culture and, uh, <laughs> and so on. But going to Hitchhiker's Guide... Um, the history of this, it's uh, Douglas Adams, of course, uh, wrote this, but he wrote it as a radio drama for the, I believe it was actually the BBC. Um, and it was written back in 1978 through 80. It was uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, primary and secondary phases. So it was basically two seasons. And both of those aired well before the first book came out. Uh, I think that's right. No, maybe uh, they were still running because the, the first book, book didn't come out till 1980. Right. Um, is that right? Uh, that's what the copyright on the inside of the book says. Hmm, Wikipedia says that the novel, the first novel was 1979, uh, and then the restaurant at the end of the universe was 1980. But anyways. My book is lying to me then. Or Wikipedia. Maybe this is just when it was published in America. I don't know. Maybe so, yeah. Uh, I do know, though, that the Hitchhiker's Guide uh, radio drama is the original version. And unlike many other pieces of media, that doesn't really mean it's the canonical version because there is no such thing. There's no canonical version. <laughs> there is no canonical Hitchhiker's Guide. Uh, Douglas Adams, when he was ri- writing the radio show, there are stories and, you know, who knows how much of it is accurate and how much of it is just, uh, you know, extraneous fluff that adds some flair to the story of the origin. But there were times where he was apparently writing lines as they were recording because he was unhappy with what he had submitted before, uh, is what they claim. And I can totally see that because... I feel like that's a Douglas Adams thing to do. It totally is. Uh, He apparently is known for 
and, and would celebrate the fact that he hated deadlines. Um, and uh, what was it? The most significant thing about deadlines is the whooshing sound they make as they <laughs> as they <laughs> fly by. Yes. So. Uh, yeah, he was like that with the radio dramas. He was like that with the books. Uh, I, the, the books have bits and pieces taken from the radio dramas, but then after a while, the books got ahead of the radio dramas uh, and added more. Uh, then there was some TV uh, stuff for the BBC, and then there was the movie, uh, which the movie was being worked on while I was in high school, um, and I guess it must have come out during your last year of high school. Is that yeah, right? I distinctly remember it came out during my last year of high school because uh, we had an AP exam. We and uh, on AP exam days, they let you leave after you were done. Yeah. Uh, so we got out of school at like eleven, and we went to see Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy because we were cool like that. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and so the big thing with the Hitchhiker's Guide is I remember some of my friends because as nerdy guys can be uh they can get all um especially in high school they can get all indignant about things not being as good as the originals and so on and so yeah. um i graduated the year before the movie came out but people were talking about it was like oh what are they doing making a movie this looks terrible and so on uh and then after a while though you know if you look at it douglas adams did actually have a hand in its creation he just died before it came out uh and i'm pretty sure he would have been perfectly satisfied with it uh, uh, that said i have opinions about the movie Okay. Well, we can get to that. Um, uh, I have opinions about all of them, uh, all of the different versions, but they all also sort of blur together. Um, I think the last thing left that I haven't mentioned um, is the video game, uh, which was a text adventure back when that was basically what you could do on computers. And Douglas Adams was, you know, was, I believe, involved in the writing of that at some point. The, um, the only versions of this that I haven't gone through are the video game because I tried and it was just not entertaining to me uh, <laughs> because I don't enjoy that kind of game very much. And this is back in the day when like text adventures had, you can make unwinnable decisions where like you make a decision and then suddenly there's literally no way for you to win the game anymore and you have to start over. Uh, and that's just not cool to me. Um, and uh, yeah. I w tried watching the TV series at one point and gave up. I'm sure I would be willing to now, but I can't find a place to watch it without buying it. So. Yeah, and, I, and I've only read the book and seen the movie, so I'm not as uh, hitchhikery as you. But I still know <laughs> that we should not panic and that we should always keep our towel. Yes. Um, I, one thing I also want to add is, uh, I guess, so you, you read the book first and then watched the movie, right? Yes. Um, I read the book, and then at some point in college, I managed to snag the radio drama, although now you can just buy it on Audible, uh, and it's perfectly good that way. And then I did watch the movie at some point, And then I've read the I've read the book probably multiple times. And I've only read it in the form of that, like the five and one thing. I bought my copy in 2002, right after I borrowed somebody else's copy and, uh, and just tore through all of them. But because I tore through all of them, I can't separate them out at all from each yeah, other. The, uh, the, the copy I read was the five and one the copy I currently own because I uh, it's my husband's copy, is just The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's just the first book, which is okay. amazingly small. Uh, so Cool. Um, so on that note, let's, uh, let's kick things off. How do you, uh, what do you want to start with, Mandy? I feel like, you know, you, you can't talk about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy without talking about Arthur Dent, the stand-in for the everyman. <laughs> yes, uh, he is, I, I, I can't think of what the best word to describe him is, um, 
boring might be the the, yeah. <laughs> the best word. Yeah, I, I in the book, I, I feel like he's supposed to be that way, right? He's supposed oh, to absolutely. be so quintessentially every man, uh, and I feel like that's done really well in the book. Like, I don't hate Arthur in the book. I get Arthur in the book. I'm like, oh, oh, yes, and that's how I feel about the radio drama as well. Um, which. In preparation for this, you reread the book, and I re-listened to the radio drama. Right, and I rewatched to... the movie. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah, in, in the book, like, Arthur is confused. He's not the, you know, Arthur, I guess in general, Arthur's not the brightest tool in the shed, right? Right. Uh, he's just a guy, just a guy living his life, just wants to live his little quiet life. He's not seeking adventure, you know, uh, and uh, he just happens to have made friends with this crazy alien uh, and to, to make it clear he's also not stupid either yes. like he's just kind of average yes. uh, and i think i agree with you in that it's done really well like i hope it didn't come across as a criticism of him it's like no no that's the point is it lets everything else just flow around him now i i have strong opinions about how that's done in the movie and how it's different uh but i feel like and, and i haven't seen the radio drama but I, I feel like in the book like i don't resent his everyday man i i identify with it his blank slatedness is like part of what makes us feel like we could be arthur right sure i, I mean there are some great uh, clearly there are times where he doesn't know what's going on and he, there's no reason he shouldn't or he should know what's going on and everybody makes fun of him for it and you're like but but none of what's going on makes any sense. Why right. won't any of you explain it to him? This is ridiculous. Uh, and it's great. It's really funny because, like, sometimes he's the butt of jokes, but we're sort of on his side. Yeah, because uh, we don't get it either. So we're like, uh... And then, yeah. of course, the bell explain. Like, I, I love uh, the footnotes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my problem with Arthur in the movie, and I, and I don't want to pick on this too much because I still really, really like the movie is that in the movie, I actually hated Arthur. And I feel like it's because they made him, and I'm going to use this as in the in quotes with the TM symbol afterwards. He is the quintessential nice guy. Oh, no. Yeah, I, I've only seen it once, and I don't remember that much. I remember liking it, but I also remember thinking, if I want to revisit Hitchhikers, I'm going to revisit in one of the other forms. But I didn't like have major problems the way that some people did. Yeah, I mean, the book is so short, like, if you just read the first book, which the movie is just the first book, that it's not one of those situations like, you know, rereading The Lord of the Rings versus watching The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Despite the fact that The Lord of the Rings is really long to watch, it's actually shorter to watch than read, you know? Right. Uh, so it makes sense that you would rewatch The Lord of the Rings a lot instead of reading the book. Uh, in this case, is not true um and i just you know when when i saw it the first time this didn't bother me um but seeing it the second time like i was getting like or I, i've seen it way more than two times i'm sorry re-watching it recently uh i was just getting really frustrated with arthur in the uh movie and his not his interactions with anyone except trillion and it's that forced love in there um which isn't in the book, I don't know if it's in the radio dramas, uh, that uh, was super frustrating to me because he was like angry at Trillian for leaving him when it's like, she said she wanted adventure. What's wrong yeah. with, like, like this is not, she did, she's, she got her dream and you're mad at her. Like, calm yourself, I, Arthur. I do remember that actually, because um, I rem it's not like that in either the book or the radio drama where it's just sort of like a, he's frustrated but gets over it yeah you know he's frustrated because he's like wait it, you know it's just like a what that guy who picked trillion up was was this alien and then that's basically the mention that you see of it after that yeah you know but you know i 
it's weird because in the book, I just don't get that vibe from Arthur at all. And I really like Arthur and I really like his relationship with Ford. And uh, I, I really identify with Arthur because I feel like, well, I feel like I would be more curious in general if I was Arthur and less like, because, you know, we're space people, right? Yeah. You and me. We, we, we read sci-fi. I don't get the impression that Arthur is a space person. Well, so, and also, this was like 1978 when it was written initially, too. So yeah. a lot fewer people were space people. Right, like, right. So Even I, fewer nerds were space people. So Right. Arthur, Arthur is like the crew of the Nostromo, right? <laughs> like, when they do things wrong, you're like, well, they're not really space people, right? <laughs> right. Uh, they, they, it's okay. Uh, as opposed to like Prometheus, right? Uh, yeah. Where they're supposed to be space people. So I, I really... Uh, appreciate that he's i mean and i'm not british so i guess i can't really speak to whether he is quintessentially british but he feels quintessentially british so one thing about this whole thing is that this entire thing is quintessentially british because there are so many things that i only understand because of how much effort i've made to learn the references (laughs) you know uh i I mean little things like that wouldn't seem funny I, i i mean you know arthur freaking about freaking out about tea or just making tea like a really big thing like we can all we can all have things where if we're thrown into a weird situation, we can identify with the fact that, yes, we would want to find comfort somewhere. But it being his tea specifically is a very British thing, I feel like. Yes. Um, uh, but then even just going into, because that takes us, I mean, you've mentioned Ford multiple times, but Ford Prefect, like his name is a joke that only really works in the UK. Well, I, I feel like it works here just because we all know Ford is a car company. You know, I may not know that Prefect is a a type of car because we don't have those here but i know it sounds like a car name but see it it never even occurred to me and it still to me doesn't sound like a car name even though i know it is specifically because ford prefect doesn't mean anything to me except for this character's name like ford is a person's name that's where the ford motor company comes from right so so to me it was just like oh it's just a weird person's name uh and then i you know it was explained that it's because uh, I don't even know if it's a, ever explained in the thing. Like it, it's it's mentioned as an offhanded joke in both the radio show and the book. As like he he named himself this because he thought it would be perfect innocu- uh, perfectly innocuous, and that would be funny to a British person who knows. Um, but for us, it would be like there's a difference between saying Ford insert random other name where I don't know that it's a car versus saying like who named himself Ford Taurus, and then I'd be like, oh, ha, huh, got it. <laughs> See, I'm not really. I'm really not really a car person. So while I know Ford Taurus is a car, I only know that because I know someone who owned a Ford Taurus. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's more like saying a Toyota Camry yeah. <laughs> or something, yeah. you know, um, uh, like, uh, you know, maybe um, I don't know what the Camry is called in Japan, uh, but Toyota that whatever, if this was a Japanese story, that would yeah. be like an equivalent joke because Ford is a name that probably comes from a person of somewhat English descent, you know? So, uh, so having it and Toyota is a name in Japan, but then adding like a car model name as your last name is, I think the thing that really. Does it yeah. There, there's also, there's a movie that I, I really like, uh, that there's a character who's called Ford Lincoln Mercury, um, <laughs> that, that I would have seen before I read this book. So I, I don't know, to me, it, it was always a car name just because, uh, prefect is a weird last name. Uh, and I was like, that sounds like a car name, but, uh, maybe prefect is a real last name. I have no idea. Prefect's also not a very American word, um, uh, that we use very often. It's a word yeah. that like I was introduced to, it would have been through Harry Potter before I read this book. Yeah. I think those are probably the only two contexts in which I'm really aware of it. Like I, I see it every once in a while, but I, but I probably am only aware of it because of this in Harry Potter. Um, but anyways, all this to be said, so 
we're we're introduced to Arthur, and even just the introduction is this completely ridiculous, super British comedy conversation between him and a construction guy, right? Uh, yes. And it just sets the tone so well, I think, for the entire thing. I, I really like how in the book, it actually takes Arthur a few minutes to realize what's happening. He's like ambling about his house, and he'll be like, yellow. Why am I thinking about yellow? And it's because there's like a yellow, you know construction equipment outside of his house uh so I, I feel like that that's a very good like arthur is kind of oblivious to what's happening like in his own world <laughs> yes uh which i uh think is a really nice introduction um in the book there's a little less of that i mean the movie there's less of that uh but in, in either case right he ends up laying in front of the bulldozer that's supposed to destroy his house which uh, I guess I don't know how these things work in Britain versus America, and certainly not in 1978 versus now. Because um, while your home can be eminent domain, like... You're going to be notified. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're like, going to know about it. I, I would think it's more than just you have to go look at the plans, because they can't just destroy your house while you and your family and your stuff is in it, right? Like... I, 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 that, d- that doesn't make sense that he didn't learn about it till the day before. And it could be, you know, a commentary on 70s British bureaucracy. Uh, but uh, to, to the modern person, I'm just like, this is kind of horrifying that they would just come and be like, I'm going to destroy your house. I don't care that you haven't moved out of it or that, you know, you were never notified. Yeah. Uh, one of the interesting things about this and it's one of the changes, the few changes that really sticks out to me between the book and the radio drama is in this, in the book, I believe it's Ford who convinces the construction guy to take, uh, to take Arthur's place. Yes. Uh, that is not the case in the radio drama and the radio drama. Arthur does that himself. Wow. Yeah. Like, and he's not laying down. He's just standing there talking to the guy. He's like, look, can we all just, uh, can we just take it for granted that I'm not going to move? He's like, well, yes. He's like, okay, well, if I'm not going to move, can we just take the middleman out of it? And you know, we both take breaks and you, you know, I can go pop over to the pub for a bit now. You can pop over to the pub a bit later and we'll just cover for each other in this standoff. And that's how it carries off. And then, uh, and they're just like settled. And so he, he walks over, but, um, <laughs> so yeah, pretty funny. Um, uh, Ford is, I, I can't even remember if Ford was there and wanted him to go to the pub or if he just met him at the pub. I, th- I think Ford was there and got him to go to the pub, but I believe it was Arthur who did it himself. Unless I'm misremembering that, even though I just listened to it last week. But I, I f- feel like it stuck out to me as a difference. Um, also, there was no laying down. So, Yeah, yeah. It, the laying down, I'm like, I would just sit on my doorstep. Yeah. Why, why do like, you need to lay down in front of the bulldozer? So obviously we go to the pub. You know, we find out that he needs to drink a bunch of beer to relax his muscles. He needs to eat some peanuts or grab some peanuts because that'll help. Um, and Ford decides that he's going to save his one friend. Yep, right. Yep. And and they kind yeah. of warn everyone in the pub and they're just all kind of think they're crazy. Right. Like, yeah, the, the end of the world is coming. Like, everybody's <laughs> just kind of like, what? What? <laughs> uh, in, in the book, does the, the bartender actually just take their word for it? I think and in the end, he does. He's kind of like, how do you know it's coming? And, you know, though, I also think it's funny that uh, I feel like a statement that the book is old is like the money denominations he gives the bartender. And he's like, keep the change. And to me that that it read kind of sarcastic, because like, that's not a lot of change. <laughs> right. But I'm like, Oh, wait, maybe in 1978, it was a lot of change. Yeah, in 1978, that would have been a ton for a single beer or for yeah. a couple of beers. So. <laughs> Whereas I'm thinking like, you gave him a fiver. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the cost of your drink. I, yeah, I feel like back then, you know, 
the beers might have each been one, pretty especially in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, he, he probably gave him well over a hundred percent tip on the thing. Yeah, so I kind of had to step back and be like, oh, this isn't like the bartender is not like insulted, like because the response could go either way based on how you're reading it. Like the bartender's like, you know, giving him a look like shocked, like wow, that's a lot of money, or shocked, like are you stupid, right? And it could go <laughs> either way. <laughs> so then we're introduced very quickly into the uh, the next bypass scenario right so we're zooming out a little bit well it's i mean that's the irony right is that exactly what the his city was doing to him is what is happening now to the earth right Uh, and it's the exact same like wording of the situations and stuff so the exact same bureaucratic meanness that we do to each other has happened to us but when it's happening to somebody else they didn't care about it right when it's happening to arthur but now that it's happening to everyone of course everyone cares yeah uh, so funny thing about this is, you know, pretty quickly the earth is destroyed and that's that. And that's just the beginning of the, you know, the entire story. But that was originally the whole point of this story. Um, back when Douglas Adams was proposing the radio series, it was called uh, The Ends of the Earth. Mm-hmm. And it was just going to be six different episodes that all ended with the earth being destroyed in a different, different. <laughs> like, uh, and it was when he was doing that, that he needed, he realized he needed an alien on the planet to like tell the audience basically what was going on because humans wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. And then he needed to come up with a reason for the alien to be there. And that's when he came up with the hitchhiker's guide. And then the, as he was writing the first, uh, the first story, that's how this whole thing came to be. So, uh, so yeah, that this essentially this intro would have been the plot of one of the stories back then. So, uh, pretty, pretty fun little bit of history. And it feels like everything in this story could just be a bit of happenstance, like Douglas Adams noticing one weird quirk that in an interaction between two people, and there you go. That's a big plot point. Yeah, but you know, it, it works, especially like in conjunction with the improbi- um, improbability drive, right? It's like the perfect excuse to have these weirdly coincidental things always happening. I That is one thing I really love, A, that it's science fiction, and B, the improbability drive in and of itself is just... It's just perfect MacGuffin material to just let anything happen however he feels like. Yep. Uh, And because it's a comedy, we don't have to look at it too closely. Like, he does give us explanations for things. But because it's a comedy, they don't have to be situations that would satisfy us in other ways. Like, if they make no sense, that's great. Like, the invention of the improbability drive, does he cover that in this first book? Uh, Yes. It's so good. (laughs) I love the way that that it's invented. And I love the way that it pokes fun at academia. Yes, absolutely. Uh, do you want to walk us through the the circular logic? Oh, now I have to remember the 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 full fullness of it. But it had to do with like the study of probability, and like if you've captured the probabilityness of what it'll happen, then that means you've also captured the improbability of it in a finite sense. Because if I know the finite probability of it, then I know the finite improbability of it. Uh, and but the, the 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 physicists or mathematicians or whoever they are were focused on this probability aspect, and some student was like, "Well, what if we focus on the improbability aspect?" And he like invented this whole it's 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 weird. It's like uh, because that's finite, he was able to get. It's the kind of thing that I could see a mathematician actually saying uh, that yeah. you're like that literally made no sense. How is that possible? But it's like oh, because we finitely captured the. We finitely captured this spectrum, 
we know this in a finite sense as well in a weird way. And so we could feed it in in this circular loop that because we calculated this other thing, we know this other thing. And then because a student did it, basically the rest of academia hated him, but also because like parties. <laughs> uh, there's some there's a joke in there about parties and how the probability part was specifically being used for a specific purpose like to make parties happen like more exciting like make the hostess's clothes like jump a foot to the left or something like that uh, but the physicists aren't invited to those types of parties so they're really bah humbug about it and so they like lynched the student who created the improbability right. drive yeah for being a uh, particularly smug about this and it's like <laughs> it's just it's so funny it and there's lots of things like that where, like you said, the, the footnotes and the tangents and and everything, and the narrator does is as satisfying as the footnotes are. Yes. Um, and, and it's just so good. Uh, and I really like how they do that in the movie, actually, because in the book, they're actual, like, footnotes, right? Like, there's an asterisk next to the word, and you look down, and there's, like, a paragraph, right? Uh, the book also has, like, occasional little, like, insert chapters of the Hitchhiker's Guide in there. Um but in the movie, they just kind of like have these little tangents, almost exactly like that, uh, where they bring out the Hitchhiker's Guide and it's explained through the visual of the Hitchhiker's Guide. And I think that's, I, th- I think it's really well done. Yeah. Um, also, can we talk about the Hitchhiker's Guide and how yes, absolutely. Uh, he foresaw the iPad uh, in 1978? <laughs> I mean, if anything, I think it's more like your phone and Wikipedia. Yes, combined, agreed. It's, it's Wikipedia. You have it all the time in a phone that says, you know, don't panic. Yeah. Uh, for a while, that was my wallpaper um, on my unlock screen for all of my iOS devices. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's, it's one of the great things about this, too, is just like how he because he could do whatever he wanted. Some of it is super prescient. Um, uh, some of it's not. But yeah. that's not the point. <laughs> um, I, I mean, the idea when he introduces us to concepts, uh, he'll lead us in and then not fill it in later. So, for instance, introducing us to the fact that humans were the uh, third most intelligent, uh, intelligent yeah. species on the planet Earth. Like he starts us off by just saying uh, something about dolphins. And, you know, and as, as it's widely known that uh, that dolphins are, in fact, the second most or humans are the third most intelligent species on Earth after dolphins, who are the second. And it just doesn't say who the first is. Yes. For a while. Um, and it's pretty great. Uh, and, it, and when he does that, too, he, like, explains it, too. He's like, you know, humans spend all this time thinking they're super clever for uh, for having got in, getting out of the gotten out of the water. And dolphins, on the other hand, realize that they're more intelligent because they knew better than to. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, you know, they have the whole thing where we are, you know, and it, it probably ties in a bit more to the to the times, but we are aware of at least the science that we've had ongoing for communicating with dolphins and trying to figure out how they communicate and so on. And he calls back to that, too. He's like, you know, humans were sitting there and dolphins tried and tried and tried to warn people <laughs> with complex uh, communication. At, and, and the radio show, he even mentions, like, even... Uh, kind of the pinnacle of that being some dramatic synchronized jumping through hoops in order to get humans to realize the earth's about to to be destroyed but they really didn't get the message mm-hmm. so in the end they just leave yeah so long and thanks for all the fish yeah which is a really catchy song <laughs> uh but uh do we we never really revisit where the dolphins go do we no uh i it might be mentioned in the third book but i i didn't reread it but no i i don't know if we really know where they go presumably back to their home planet wherever that may be yeah um yeah it, it's 
it's pretty great. Uh, I, I mean, you know, I, I don't know how much we want to focus on plot because there's there is Zephod, Beeblebrox, and Trillian who were exposed to pretty quickly. Uh, Zephod being the president. Of- I feel like we have to talk about Zephod in the presidency. Okay, yeah, let's talk about that. Go for I, it. I I uh, I feel like it has to be a critique on American government because uh, they don't have a president in Britain. Right. Uh, But he's like, the only point of the president is to be a distraction (laughs) from the real politics. And only like six people in the universe know this, Uh, which is why Zaphod makes a perfect president because he's a rock star who has become president and he's very distracting. Uh, And he like, you know, abducts the ship, uh, kidnaps himself, whatever. Uh, But I feel like that whole little uh, footnote, if you will, is a direct critique on like America. And I don't even know who was president when he was actively writing this. Uh, Because if he wrote it in 78, that'd be Carter. But maybe he's not talking about Carter because Carter would be president, but not who was president, you know. Uh, So I don't know if it's just a general thought on American government. I think that was Carter. If I am misremembering our presidents, just remember I was not alive in 1970. <laughs> uh, and not, not even an inkling in anybody's eye yet in 1978. Yes. Uh, so uh, it would be Ford into Carter. Yeah. So depending on when he's writing it. Uh, so before that would have been Ford, Nixon, Johnson, Kennedy. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, but it's like, I feel like it's, it's like this uh, critique of, you know, politics in general. Uh, but also, you know, people who have presidents, uh, uh, but I also just think the idea of the rock star president is, uh, also prescient. <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't know if I would say rock star is the But is celebrity. Yes, yeah, celebrity for sure. Uh, you know, that he has no qualifications, Zaphod, um, and, uh, people voted for him. And I think in the movie, I'm not sure in the book, there's also people seem to be confused about what they were even voting for. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, like this idea that people could vote someone who's a celebrity just for name recognition into the presidency. Uh, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I think that that is very relevant to, yes, yes. To, yes. But considering he had seen, uh, no, that he hadn't even seen Reagan become president yet, because that would be, I feel like, the first time that we had something like that, the the uh, the actor president. Uh, right. So it's like, this is even before Reagan. He kind of, like, predicted, I mean, Reagan was also, like, a real politician, uh, kind of like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, was he a uh, an actor? Yes. But then he, like, actually got into politics. Uh, but still, it's kind of, Zaphod has no interest in politics. Right. He has no interest in running the government. He just wants to be the best, not even the best, the most famous. Right, right, right. Uh, Uh, Yeah. And he has two heads. Yes. He has two heads, which is done to a different effect in the visual versions. Yeah. I don't like Uh, it in the visual. It works really well in the non-visual versions. (laughs) Yeah. I I always imagine like he actually has like two heads side by side, like, you know? Yeah. Uh, So, and and I understand that our graphics somewhat limit us in being able to represent that. Uh, But yeah, he has two heads who don't always have the same opinion of things, which is kind of a nice also critique of politicians, right? Like, do they even know what they're thinking? It's like they have two faces, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, There's the underlying... Uh, plot and I I forget how much of it is covered in the first book versus the uh, the radio dramas because I I listened to both the original radio dramas um, 
because some of it is in each of the first couple of books, but it's not a perfect trend. Like different p- bits are spread out differently. Uh, and in it, they actually bring that whole thing to a resolution where uh, we do find out who's behind the scenes. Uh, and we kind of, I don't even remember anymore because after a while, all of the plot stops making sense. And I yeah. just start <laughs> listening. I, I just started listening for the jokes after a while. So I would be like chuckling, but not really understanding what's going on, uh, <laughs> which is perfectly fine, I think, for Hitchhiker's Guide. Uh, yeah. uh, but with Zaphod, he has Trillian, who is completely by, I shouldn't say by coincidence, compl- uh, uh, w- is very improbable to ha- uh, very improbably happen to be a girl who <laughs> Arthur had uh, recently tried to pick up mm-hmm. and uh, was picked up out from under him, except that she probably had no interest in him whatsoever to begin with. And, and that's that's my biggest critique of the movie, as I was going to say. Like, I feel like in the book, and you can speak to the radio drama, uh, Arthur is, like, he tried to pick her up, but she is outside of his, you know, uh, it was never so going to happen. League. Yes. Like, she's out of his league, so, you know. They're, they're just not compatible, right? right. Like, you, you know, leagues or not, she wanted this life of adventure and all these other things, and he wants to stay at home and, and be a homebody. Yeah, you know, which there's nothing wrong with that. I'm a homebody, right? But I'm not going to marry someone who wants to, you know, you know, hike through Antarctica. That's just not going to happen, right? uh, (laughs) So in the, but in the movie, it's like, it's like this weird, like, nice guy movie syndrome where, like, she should have been with him. And uh, I... It doesn't make any sense why Trillian's even interested in him at all in the end, other than he's the only human left in the universe. Uh, But the fact that it like makes her feel guilty, like the movie, the way the movie frames it is like Arthur is right and she is wrong. Like she was wrong for leaving Arthur, even though Arthur did not want to travel with her. (laughs) So it's just, I don't like it. I, I don't like how much the movie focuses on romance altogether. Cause even going back to Zaphod in the movie, there's like this other vice president, I think, um, who's a woman, and it just turns out that she just is in love with Zaphod, too. Oh. Because women don't have motivations outside of love, obviously. I don't remember that at all. Um, yeah. Which yeah. I just feel like it's not that way in the book, right? Trillian is with Zaphod because it's... Exciting. Uh, and, and I feel like that that's all it is, and that's all they expect it to be, right? Yeah, and, and she's way smarter than, like, she's, she's super smart, uh, you know... Uh, I'm trying to remember what kind of scientist was she? Uh, I don't remember. Mathematician and astrophysicist. Ah. Yes. So like, you know, she would probably even be fascinated by the heart of gold and right. its improbability drive and all that stuff. So this is life of adventure. She's always wanted, right? Like th- this is the accumulation of all of her study and dreams and work. And I feel like the book does not condemn that at all. You know, like, uh, whereas the movie, I feel like it got Hollywoodified a little bit. Right. <sighs> Which happens. But that's really my only critique of the movie is this weird forced love stuff in there. Otherwise, I'm like, I, I love the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so speaking of love, love, Marvin the Paranoid Android is full of it. Oh, Marvin. I love him. <laughs> I love Marvin so much. Uh, <laughs> and he's so good on the radio drama. He just is so clearly depressed all the time. And it's so good. Uh, I just feel like in the movie, Alan Rickman was perfect casting for that. And it's so well done. Um, yeah. Uh, Stephen Moore does a great job in radio. And I think he also was his voice in the TV show as well. 
but I think he had a different person playing him visually. I don't know. It's a weird thing. So, so like maybe one person did a voice while the, another person moved in a suit or something. Yeah, that's the way they did it in the movie. So I wouldn't be surprised if they did it in the TV show. In the movie, I think it's, um, oh gosh, who plays Professor Flitwick? Warwick Davis. I feel like it's Warwick Davis, but I could be wrong. It could be um, R2-D2 instead, who's not Warwick Davis. Um, oh, I am just failing on the names today, because uh, Warwick Davis is wicked. Um, I feel like it's... Uh... I think you're right. Uh, I am looking it up right now, and you are correct. Yes. Yeah. So Warwick Davis is uh, the is in the suit okay. or in the costume and uh, and then Alan Rickman did his voice. And so they did the same thing just for completion's sake. David Lerner, who I, I don't know who he is. Um, oh, no, no. Yeah, that's ba- basically what he's known for is playing Marvin in <laughs> in the uh, TV show. But uh, but Stephen Moore from the radio show did his voice in TV as well. Uh, and he's great. He's just very funny. I just really like Marvin. He's a nice, like, I don't know, counterpoint. Because I feel like, and, you know, Arthur's not super excited about being in space. So right. having someone else who's not super excited, I feel like is nice for Arthur. <laughs> yeah, because like, Zaphod and Trillian are like, hyped yes. about this. Uh, they're, they're hyped about everything. Ford is pretty, you know, he's easygoing. He doesn't care. Like, Earth was destroyed, whatever. You know, whereas... Uh, Arthur is kind of depressed. And so having someone else, uh, even if it is a robot who has been like programmed to be that way, I think is nice. I think Ford's lack of worry comes off a little bit like a, almost like he's high, you know, he's like, oh man, yeah, we probably should be worried about that. I guess we'll figure yeah. something out, you know, like that's kind of, <laughs> yeah, uh, that kind of thing versus, uh, you know, Zaphod who is, I, you know, just Zaphod hyped all is, the time. Zaphod is just, like, out of his mind. He's just this guy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I, I do appreciate the repeated callbacks to the his therapist or whatever. Um, and because uh, there is a point in the radio drama, at least, where Zaphod calls his therapist to figure things out. And his therapist is like, oh, do you feel like everybody's out to get you? He's like, no, 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 people are actually out to get me. He's like, oh, I realize that it must feel really real to you right now. <laughs> Uh, and it's just, it's a really great kind of play on that whole thing. Cause again, the same way that they play that they kind of make fun of American politics in ways and then they, or, or academia. And this way it's like sort of making fun of the way that psychologists talk and stuff. Right. And it's just like lots of that poking fun at that sort of thing. Yeah. It's like, you know, something's not paranoia when it's really happening. Like right. if you're the fugitive, uh, you're not paranoid. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, so yeah, the whole plot, I mean, there's, we don't really want to dwell too much on the plot itself because, you know, it's not that important. It's an excuse for jokes, really. Uh, but I feel like probably the most significant thing about Hitchhiker's Guide is just the, I guess, the impact that it's had on culture, right? Because we see the number 42. I mean, that's why we're doing this in the first place. The number 42 gets thrown around all the time because, of course, it's the answer to life, the universe, and everything. And by the way, we just crossed 42 minutes, so it's really funny that <laughs> I say this. Um, but uh, but he brings that up, and uh, and it's just like, you know, humans, the idea that the, the, not humans, but the people, which I guess were the mice, who wanted the answer to life, the universe, and everything in the first place, they make this hype, this supercomputer, it comes up with the answers, 42 but it knows that it doesn't know the the question, and so it has to create, you know, Earth as a sci- as a giant computer to figure it out. Uh, that whole plot line is kind of hilarious and just yes. really, really good at making the Earth seem insignificant. 
Yes, the Earth uh, is a computer for the Mice's computer program. Yeah. And and, yeah, and we why? still don't know what the question is. Yep. Uh, also, of course, there's the, the long-running joke that um, at some point, a long time ago, some people, uh, the, what was it, the lawyers and middle management were kicked off a planet without knowing, they were tricked off a planet, I should say, uh, and they inhabited Earth and therefore corrupted the calculation of the mice supercomputer. So... Uh, turns out that we might be able to get an answer from Arthur in the first play uh, because he was there at the end, but it's useless anyways. Uh, and I love that because it makes this whole plot just completely meaningless, which is great because yes, that's how it should be. The plot has no purpose. Uh, and and I think that's great. And, it, and it's just one of those like, I also love like some of the puns. Like they didn't give them an ultimate question, you know, like they they said give us the answer to the ultimate question. They didn't say what the question is, you know, but most people right. would assume you know what the question is. Uh, uh, it's also like, uh, I really like um, the restaurant at the end of the universe, not the book, but the idea uh, that it's not, you, you think that and you think it's at like a physical end, like the restaurant at the end of the road. But no, it's at the end of the universe, you know, right. and, and like the God who like shows up and is like, it's the end of the universe. <laughs> Would Foundation have been out at this point? Uh, yes, I think so. Yeah. And they had the whole thing where, you know, second Foundation's at the end of the universe or yeah. galaxy or whatever. Uh, Terminus and, they, and yeah. Ter- yeah. And they may, they come up with a way to for that to make sense. But but this uh, this is not that. And you're totally right. I like the way that they mess with that expectation as well. Uh, although now that I've watched a bunch of modern Doctor Who, it feels less novel. Yes. <laughs> um, but I'm sure at the time that was a much more significant kind of gag. Um, makes me wonder how much of this is influenced by Doctor Who, because Douglas Adams both watched and I believe wrote for Doctor Who. Yeah, he did write for some Doctor Who stuff. So uh, it seems like, and I could be incorrect, but I I want to say that some of the stuff he was going to do for Doctor Who was used for the third novel in this, Mm. um, which is Life, the Universe, and Everything. Is that the third one? I think so. It's either that or So Long and Thanks for All the Fish, but I think that's the fourth. Yeah. Um, But uh, anyways, yeah, whole thing, like, plot's meaningless, but it leaves us with so many amazing references uh, that people, I mean, we have, like, what is it, International Towel Day? um, I have a towel that says Don't Panic, and I have it at work, and, like, one of my friends, one of my coworkers, and I have these matching Don't Panic towels that we got when we launched a satellite into space, you know, because that's what we we were constantly telling each other. Don't panic. It's going to be OK. This is going to go OK. Don't panic. Uh, you know, and like almost every day, like someone will be like, I have a question and someone will just answer 42 without even hearing the question, because that's yeah, that's the joke. Right. Like uh, right. And it's just like permeated our entire culture. Yeah. And especially your your particular work culture is, I think, especially uh, <laughs> especially vulnerable to influence. Are you calling influence us nerds, by Michael? I, I mean, my, my office is nerds, too. I just, <laughs> you guys are space nerds. Yeah, we are space nerds. <laughs> so, Sadly, you guys are space- I know several people, though, who have not seen Star Trek, and it still baffles my mind. I mean, I barely have. So, uh, but, yeah, but you guys are like... a space nerd. Not by profession. <laughs> so there is that. But, uh, yeah, it, it's pretty fantastic. Um, I... I, I want to say that this was the first radio series nominated for a Hugo, oh. which is pretty cool. Um, and I th- uh, I'm looking it up. Yeah. And it, it lost to uh, 1978 Superman, the film. So pretty, pretty major company considering how significant, you know, both were in kind of this grand scheme of things. Uh, 
Yeah, I just Hitchhiker's Guide though. Like, yeah, there's 42. There's uh, you know people just talking about the ultimate question. There's I see people reference the falling whale all the time. The bowl of petunias. And the bowl of petunias, yeah. Uh, I love, love, love the, the bowl of petuna, petunias specifically. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's just, you know, you have the- I order, hear people the say so long and thanks for all the fish is a good buy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, even mostly harmless, you know, I, I yeah. mean, you could say harmless and mostly harmless, but there's very often I see people say mostly harmless clearly as a reference and that litters video games and so on. Um, there's also uh, video games like, I think uh, GoldenEye had a maybe had a difficulty setting there, uh, or maybe like an award you could get where if you did almost nothing, you would get mostly harmless as an award. Um, and it's just you know it's so neat to see how, like you said, it. I mean, you use the word permeate, and that is probably the best one, best thing there is. And like knowing where your towel is is a thing that's brought up all the time. And or that mice um, are the most intelligent species on the planet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like. We think we're testing them, but they're testing us. Like, I mean, ever people, uh, just the fact that we're the third most intelligent species on the planet. Like, I hear people reference that. Uh, you know, th- it's just, or just the Hitchhiker's Guide in general, the idea of it. Um, I. Who knows how many people that inspired? Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, but you think about it, our phone is the Hitchhiker's Guide. The Hitchhiker, like, you know, and I have seen people who have put on the back of their phones or their iPads or their tablets, don't panic, you know, like, because that's what it is. It's the Hitchhiker's Guide. You can access Wikipedia anywhere. You, you can access things like Lonely Planet from your phone, and it'll tell you where the best place to eat in this place is. And that's exactly what the Hitchhiker's Guide does. Uh, it, it, and it's, it's fun to think how much influence... Um, this actually had in terms of like how many of these things took the particular form they took because of the Hitchhiker's Guide. Like, not to say that they wouldn't have happened in some form or another anyways, but if their creators knew about the Hitchhiker's Guide and were familiar with it, then could it have just framed it even a little bit? Right. No, I mean, but that's true. It's like how cell phones directly correlate to Star Trek, right? Like kids watching Star Trek with their communicators became the people who invented cell phones. You know, and they were like, that gave me the idea. Like, I've seen documentaries on how Star Trek changed the world. And I think Hitchhikers is the same. And I think we'll one day see those documentaries of people being like, oh, no, I was totally inspired by Hitchhiker's Guide. Yep. Um, I I also want to point out that uh, Deep Thought, the computer that calculated 42 and created the Earth as its successor, Mm -hmm. uh, it is uh, IBM later created a chess computer that they named after that. So, um so that's pretty fun too. Ah, oh, man. Really, we're just a planet uh, of nerds. It's true. Just full of nerds. <laughs> I mean, it's it, you know, it's like like that verse in the Bible says, "Nerds will inherit the earth," yep. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we have. <laughs> uh, it, it's funny actually because I, I even remember as a kid growing up, and this is not really related to Hitchhiker's Guide, but as a kid growing up, there was still that little bit of the of the thread of like nerds being kind of beaten up and made fun of and stuff. Whereas now I feel like it's pretty clear that nerds kind of run things. Yeah. I, I don't remember ever feeling like that as a kid, but I, I didn't as an individual. just didn't care. So I knew I wasn't cool, but I'm not sure that was because I was a nerd. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. Like I, I never felt it specifically, but I feel like the media and general like culture had this thought at least yes. going where I, as now it feels like that's more or less gone. Like, I don't know the last time I heard somebody say nerd as an actual insert insult. Yeah. 
Agreed. You know, like, I definitely used to see that, and I don't anymore. You know, that's that's a thing that just... People say it, and it'd be like, man, you're such a nerd. But it's just not like a... Not a real insult. It's just sort of like a declaration of fact, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and sometimes said... and some Sometimes said really as a compliment. It's like, man, he's a real nerd. It's great. <laughs> that kind of thing. But, uh, yeah. And uh, it, it's really interesting to see just how Hitchhiker's Guide and some of this other old stuff that we we've done how again those permeate our minds and our culture and our references and stuff and we can just make references to people we've never met before and count on the fact that they will either have consumed hitchhiker's guide themselves or it will know the reference even if they haven't you know um so i'm glad i did get to actually get through hitchhiker's guide and was almost forced into watching it and uh, excuse me reading it and listening to it when i did because it would be just kind of amazing to be getting all these references and not really get them 100%. Um, but, but I'm well, glad I did. honestly, you wouldn't have made it through college without having read it. Someone would have. <laughs> yeah, someone would have made me. Yes. Uh, but I'm glad I, it happened in high school so that I already had it under my belt by the time college rolled around. Agreed. Agreed. And, it, and it's just that kind of humor that I feel like anyone in like high school and beyond can enjoy. Like, I, I feel like while it is a middle schooler can read it and it's not inappropriate, I feel like they won't necessarily get it. Right. Um, and you and I definitely, so again, one of the, my favorite things about Hitchhiker's Guide, and you and I talked about this before when we talked about storytelling mediums, but I really love the fact that there is no canonical version, uh, that Douglas Adams himself embraced every medium and just doing what you can in that medium. And uh, and it really comes across, like, it just works. And when the point is the humor, and the point is getting these particular characters to make you laugh a lot... There's not much else going on. Like, like, who cares what the actual details are? I mean, I don't even remember sometimes pages after I've read or minutes after I've heard a particular thing. I don't remember the details of it anymore because that's not the point. It's just the point is the uh, just what it's poking fun at and how well he does that. You know, and, and I want to talk a bit about the genius of Douglas Adams because not many writers can actually pull off humor writing. Like, it's one of the hardest things to do because to maintain a humorous voice throughout an entire book is incredibly difficult. Like, and I mm-hmm. don't feel like a lot of people appreciate it, but it's the reason why there's not a lot of humor books out there that are like fiction written humorously. Like, those books are actually really hard to find. Um, and even like you say, you look at Terry Pratchett and it's, and it's funny, but the way he's writing it is not, it's not the same level of humor writing that Douglas ha- Adams has. Uh, there are like serious moments in Terry Pratchett books. In Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, there are no serious moments. Everything is humorous. Uh, and, and that is incredibly hard to do. Douglas Adams is very gifted. Um, and it's a shame we lost him so early. Yeah. Um, that does remind me, there's a... Yeah, I mean, it's a major shame that we lost him early. And you talking about his writing, I- I've only really read and consumed Hitchhiker's Guide. But also, there's a story by um, by Douglas Adams where I think he told it on uh, like Letterman or one of those shows back in the 80s. Uh, have you ever read the story about uh, the cookies? Yes. Oh, that's such a... I'll, I'll try and find a link and, and put it in here somewhere because it, it's just... It's so good, and anybody who hasn't listened or you know watched or listened or read the story is just so funny. Because and I would botch it because you really just need his exact wording in there, and it's his just so funny. Timing. And, yeah, yeah, um, it, it's so good, and it's just again, I really should probably go through and get more of his stuff. Yeah, you know, and, and that said, too, I think uh, there's something Hitchhikers offers us that not a lot of sci-fi does. Uh, 
that is the sci-fi that doesn't take itself seriously and is complete shenanigans. Uh, yes. And I feel like there's a place for that and we don't get it a lot. And some of it is because I feel like everything like that is going to automatically be held up to Hitchhiker's Guide. Um, but I, and I cannot remember the name of this book. So uh, I recently, like in the past two years, read a YA book that was hilarious. Um, not quite written with the same comedic voice, but I feel like in the same heart of its space shenanigans is, you know, a kid, the girl he wants to ask to prom gets abducted by aliens and he wants to randomly... Uh, and so he's like, I need to save her. And he ends up meeting an intergalactic rock band and yeah. goes on like these interstellar shenanigans with this rock band trying to save this girl, but saving the, like, it's like pure shenanigans, the whole book. And like, uh, it's, it's very funny. And it's like this light sci-fi. I feel like sci-fi a lot of times takes itself very seriously, which there is a place for. I love my serious sci-fi. Um, but you know, sometimes we just need shenanigans. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think why we like Doctor Who. Right. Uh, or one of the reasons we like Doctor Who, because we like the serious stuff it does, too. Um, so what you were actually describing, and it's barely, I mean, it is sci-fi, but have you ever seen Dude, Where's My Car? Uh, probably not, no. <laughs> you should you should watch it at some point. I'm not saying it's great film or anything, but it's much smarter than I used to give it credit for. Um, and if you go in expecting just this thing that, if you're willing to go in and take a thing that it's really just meant to be kind of dumb humor, um, that's has a little bit of an intelligent streak underlying it. Uh, that That's what it is. Um, and it's not... Yes, I, I mean, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and spoil the fact that there is some sci-fi involved, and it's <laughs> worth your time. Uh, but uh, yeah, as like a single watch, I think it's worth it. My brother watched it a lot when I was in high school, um, and after like the seventh or eighth time, I finally started to like it. But <laughs> when I was in college... Uh, my last semester, I just needed to take some electives. And my last one of my classes was intro to film. And we went over that class and kind of or that movie and dissected it. And as I was dissecting it, I was like, wow, this movie's much better than I've given it credit for. So <laughs> uh, so I do recommend Dude, Where's My Car? Uh, just for this kind of feel. Um, and then I've never watched it. But this is the impression I get of, say, Galaxy Quest. You've never watched Galaxy Quest? No, I haven't. Oh my gosh, Michael. I know. Well, part so of it is... I, I would not like... say Galaxy Quest is just space shenanigans. Uh, okay. Galaxy Quest is a loving, poke fun at, at Star, Star Trek, Trek and Star Trek fandom. Right, and that's one of the th reasons is like I have no attachment to Star Trek or Star Trek fandom, and I know little enough about Star Trek, so I, I've always wondered if I would really get much out of the movie or if i need to wait until i've watched a whole bunch of star trek have you ever seen an episode of the original star trek i have seen yeah i think most of a season then you're probably fine <laughs> okay uh because i would say it's particularly making fun of original star trek but uh, the thing i love about galaxy quest um i'm sorry this is kind of a tangent but i guess that's I okay you know what hitchhiker's guide is not a thing we need to stay focused on <laughs> Because it doesn't stay focused on itself. <laughs> uh, is that Galaxy Quest is a true loving homage to Star Trek and fandom. It is not making fun of it. It is not hating on it. Uh, but I mean, it is making fun of it, but it's not in a mean way. It's like something Star Trek fans can enjoy and laugh at and be like, but that's totally us and make fun of these tropes and things. But in the end... The fans help save the day, too. So, you know, it's it's just one of those. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful movie. Uh, it's hilarious. I crack up every time I watch it. Guy is hilarious as a character. Oh, my gosh. Um, and it's a great movie, and you should watch it. Uh, yeah. 
all, all you really need to know about is like the tropes of Star Trek, you know, like the red shirt, uh, Captain Kirk always loses his shirt, uh, you know, or like 60s, like crazy storytelling where you're like, this literally makes no sense in the plot, you know, but it's there. Uh, yeah. And I think I think you would enjoy and, and having been to conventions like Dragon Con. You will yeah, like I at least understand the fandom. Yes. So, OK, because so, there's definitely conventions in it. So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think you'll really like it. I'm, I'm wondering if, because I, I really do, that just reminds me, I need to watch more Star Trek, period. Um, I've only seen the first six episodes in sequence, and then I've watched the restaurant, or not the restaurant, sorry, that's, this is the restaurant at the end of the universe, the, um, what's the name, the city at the... Edge of Forever. Edge of Forever, uh, which is, you know, supposed to be one of the best episodes ever, uh, and I really liked it. But that's like the only one I've seen out of order, or and that's a two-parter, isn't it? I don't know. I don't remember if it is. Whatever it is, if it's two parts, I've seen both. If it's one, I've just seen the one. But um, but I probably need to watch it. I wonder if anybody has because I keep losing interest. I wonder if anybody has watch lists out there that just have like here are the important episodes to watch in sequence. Oh, and I'm sure they do. Star Trek fandom is large and happy to help. Cool. Well, <laughs> hopefully they will help me out there because I'm in desperate need. Um, on that note, though, did you know that there's new Hitchhiker stuff? Yes, I did, but I have no interest. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I don't have a problem with them making it. I just also don't have interest in it. So uh, I want to say, I'm trying to think of what, what it is that maybe I... <sighs> Because I know they have new radio series. I'm not interested in those. Um, they have new novel. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's, I guess it's kind of a, I can always just, now that I have the, I have the movie, or we can get the movie, we can get the TV show, I have the radio series, and I have the books. It's like, between those, it's not like I need more plot. Yeah, I so. don't feel like I need more. So, and, you know, it's not Douglas Adams, so while I'm not saying it can't be good, uh, I, I just don't feel a need. Yeah, like... If Douglas Adams himself was doing it, I'd probably be picking it up just to see the new jokes he makes. Yeah. But it would just be that. It's not because it's, you know, more Hitchhiker's story, because no, I just don't care. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not invested the in the world building of the Hitchhiker's <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, as it stands, we basically know the origins of the Earth and how much more world building do I need? It's like literal world, <laughs> literal world building. Uh, yes. True story. Um, cool. Well, uh, I don't really have much else to say about Hitchhiker's Guide then, do you? No, I, I think if you haven't read it, you should read it. And it didn't matter if we spoiled things. It literally doesn't matter. You should still it, read it. It really doesn't. Yeah, you should read it. You should listen to it. Mandy, you should listen to the radio series at some point. Uh, it's Well, since it's they're pretty on Audible, short. I might. Yeah, they're, they're pretty short. Just you know, make sure you're getting the primary and, and secondary phases. Uh, but yeah, they're short. They're like a few hours long. Um, it is... Uh, they have catchy tunes in there too, catchy, like catchy little musical themes since they're radio dramas. Uh, and one thing apparently is they had to do all kinds of crazy budget things in order to get the sound effects they needed for the radio drama because nobody had done something like that before. Um, like just a lot of the voices and stuff like that were just not things they did with radio dramas yet. Like they had lots and lots of normal sound effects for like construction sites and stuff, but not for making space aliens talk and, <laughs> and things. So pretty fun. That. Yeah. Pretty fun thing. Um, cool. Well then on that note, uh, we can wrap it up. Uh, you can follow Mandy on Twitter at Brown underscore Aja, which is A J A H. You can follow me on Twitter at Auhim. That's A U H I M. You can follow the podcast at Triv Crucial 
And the podcast website is triviallycrucial.com. Uh, until next time, make sure you know where your towel is.